1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 304 of the Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah.
0: Hey, Megan. How are you?
1: I'm great because it's another listener questions week, one of our favorite kinds of episodes to do.
0: Yeah, we actually got really great, more. I feel like more engaged feedback after last week's episode. Now, yeah. um, these don't necessarily have to go together. All the questions are kind of independent. But we said last week that we got a really nice variety of questions, and I would say the same is true today. or maybe you all are just kind of feeling chatty. But we had lots of people like writing in on Instagram to add advice to the people who had asked a question. like I, I just love the conversations that these parenting challenges are starting in the community. And it's not just you and my you and me here for advice. it's It's a right. collective.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And um, I love these as well when we get such a variety of questions and we really did get this time. Like we got some really interesting ones that we haven't really covered before or just as a slightly different angle than we've touched before. So it's always fun when that happens.
0: It is. Um, Before we dive into listener questions, I have some um, I have some data for you, Megan, from our listener survey that I thought I'd throw at you. I guess I'm ready. You're ready. (laughs) Yeah. So you've all heard us talk about our listener survey. It's out now at the slash survey. We have hundreds of responses already. I have a personal goal of like a couple thousand. So we have a little ways to go. Um, but I think this is so interesting and I'm just going to share some stats with you. So interestingly, 11% of our audience uh, are educators, teachers and educators, mm. um, which I think is kind of high for one profession. Yeah, that does seem like a big percentage. Yeah. Yeah, over 10%. Now, most of those are moms themselves and educators, um, because you can check, like, I'm a parent, and then I'm also a step-parent, a teacher, and a few other categories. Right. Um, So those are lots of teacher moms in our audience, over 10%. Um, Another one that struck me is um, over 46% of our audience um, say they're employed full-time in a traditional setting. Now, what's funny is traditional setting has really evolved since COVID. Right. But what is traditional? (laughs) Right. If you the other options in that question talk about working maybe on a contract basis or part time on a flexible schedule. So this would be, you know, roughly like your traditional employment 40 hour a week. Um, And that felt high to me also, I think, because we hear a lot from a lot of part time and and fully stay at home moms. And it's a good reminder that we have a a really like a, a huge block of full time working moms in our community. That, that's
1: interesting just to see how that shakes out because I'm just never sure. I, I mean, I can make guesses, but it's hard to figure that out. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we asked a question about different kinds of struggles people have had in the past year with the pandemic. And you could just check as many as you've experienced. Um, but this one stood out that more than half our audience has experienced relationship stress in the past year. More than half. Not surprised, I guess. Yeah, not surprising. <laughs> but if you are feeling, like you might be alone in that and and we didn't ask people to elaborate obviously so relationship stress could look like a lot of things but just how common it is to be struggling right now um and so quite a few of those the the results from that question are just really striking so
1: yeah, yeah. there you go yeah so many people kind of like stuck in one house right all day and yeah. you used to be able to either one person would leave or you'd both leave um and now everyone's just kind of there there together yeah. and i know you you felt that sarah you with the yeah. the The room you the office room you can't go into unless you uh, army crawl, yeah exactly,
0: but <laughs> like the door that was at once like at one time see through that my yes. husband on zoom calls could see me changing yeah, yeah. and all <laughs> um. Of this- colleagues. <laughs> well, <laughs> the survey will link in the show notes and it's also, you can just type in the momhour.com slash survey. It takes like two minutes to do on your phone and um, we'll leave it open for a couple more weeks. So thank you to everybody who's kind of, I don't know, just helping us understand this community a little better.
1: Yeah, because I do wonder, you know, in the last year, our, um, our numbers like took a hit for a while and then grew. And it's just been interesting to think about like, are those all the same people who who like took a little break from podcasts and then came back or mm-hmm. was it like one group just went away never to return and were replaced by a totally different group it's just yeah it's really hard to know and these surveys really help us at least start kind of digging in like the mm-hmm. scooby-doo gang we are
0: yeah exactly
1: sarah we both know this time of year can be crazy so this is a great time to get ahead with no prep no mess meals from our sponsor factor
0: That's code MOMHOUR50 at FactorMeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, well, over here at the MOM HOUR, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product.
1: Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, so our first question um, came in over Instagram from Katie, and Katie says, I'm a mom of two. They are four and a half and one and a half. She says, I've mostly stayed home since having my first and we're not having more children. I would like to return to the workforce when my younger is two, but I feel really behind. I have a bachelor degree in business, but never started a career and was never passionate about a job. Where do I start? I'm definitely lacking the confidence and how to. Any advice appreciated?
0: Okay. So what's interesting is we wanted to tackle this question, but you and I don't have a lot of experience <laughs> with this type of job no. search. No. Um, My guess is
1: that most my guess is that she's more qualified and ready than she thinks. But that's like a confidence booster, not really the actual tips, you
0: know? So, yeah. And it's also the kind of thing you don't know until you try. So I asked Katie if I could pose this in our listener group on Facebook. And this is a good time to mention, like when we talk about our Instagram community, our Facebook community, we know there are those of you out there who have opted out of all social media. I totally respect that and get it. Or who like you love Instagram, but you hate Facebook. That's more me. So what we try to do is like use these, I don't know, like these watering holes, watering. What do you (laughs) call it? The water fountain? (laughs) Uh, The water cooler? Thank you
1: watering holes. I mean, that's, you know, if like, if you got animals and things like like in
0: the lion King. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So we use these gathering places and then hopefully bring it right back to you all listening on the podcast. So I asked Katie if I could pop this in our listener group, because that's where we really get like such tactical advice from moms who've been there. And so I just want to, um, kind of list off some of the suggestions that our listeners had. And then, um, if anything like jogs, anything for you, Megan, feel free to jump in. Um, So Sophia said, you can register and make a profile at themomproject.com and they'll find jobs that match your interest and availability. And Megan, you interviewed the um, head of community at the mom project. So uh, that's a great episode we can link to in the show notes. She was a great interview.
1: Yeah. And I think that um, they're kind of doing a lot of work. I follow them pretty closely on LinkedIn and they're doing a lot of work to just kind of ease the way because they recognize that this is such a common issue for moms who have left the workforce or just stepped out for a little bit, or maybe who've just been kind of hampered by in the workforce by the fact mm-hmm. that they are moms. And we all know that can happen. So they've been like really leaders in encouraging employers to hire like massive numbers of moms and really go out of their way to have like mom hiring initiatives, which I think is great. And they also, I believe, help um, connect moms with like more flexible and part-time work if that's what you're looking for. So it's well, definitely fun. a good place to start.
0: I love that. Um, And I loved that Sophia suggested it. So, and that we had interviewed um, someone from there. So that's great. Uh, Gretchen suggested I relaunch. So like lowercase I like your iPhone and then relaunch. And they have the three, two, one relaunch podcast. And there is a Facebook group and coaches too. So it sounds like that's a whole community and platform. I wasn't familiar with that one, but that sounds great. So that's I relaunch. Um, And then Casey said, depending on your circumstances, volunteering can be a great way to test out different jobs while also building skills for your resume. I I guess I can speak personally to this, maybe not volunteering, but after I left corporate work and I was a stay-at-home mom for a little while and then was dabbling, I definitely took some, I would call them like paid paid internship type contracts where... Mm -hmm. Um I was fortunate enough that my income was not like going to be putting food on the table or not at that stage in our life and so I didn't necessarily it wasn't volunteering but I I took on little projects to kind of see see if I liked that type of work and also to teach myself skills that I could then use um you know to to be paid more worth my time later on, if that makes sense. So it it did really help me. And I like the idea of volunteering to test out. I like the way that Casey put that to kind of like build your skills and test out different jobs. So that was a great suggestion. Okay. And then two more really practical tips from listeners in our Facebook group. Um, Sarah said that a lot of moms entering the workforce have had luck with temp agencies and staffing agencies, again, kind of as a way to like test out different industries and to build experience. Um, She said when she was looking for a change, she looked up job listings and kept a dream jobs folder, um, jobs that she thought looked great, but weren't necessarily ready for just to get an idea of what was out there and what appealed to her. So almost like I'm picturing like a Pinterest board or something like a like a vision board. board. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, I love that. And then lastly, someone suggested working with a career counselor um, or a career coach, if that's uh, an option available to you. So I think these are really good, actionable tips for Katie. We solved yeah, it. Without...
1: Our, we solved it. We didn't have to do anything. Our community yeah. really is great. And um, it's a great place. I know, like you said, Sarah, not everyone's into the Facebook or the Instagram, but it is if you're looking for that community, um, we're, just, we're just good, supportive people. So I appreciate those. I re- appreciate that
0: advice. I agree. Um, So our second question comes from Ellen and it's a voicemail, but it's also related to working, not working, working part-time, working by choice. Um, And I thought it was a great question. So let's listen to Ellen's voicemail now. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Ellen. I am a five-year listener, probably a little bit more now, live in Atlanta and a mom to two girls who are five and three. I'd love to hear from you guys about how you talk or have talked
2: through through different seasons with your kids about your work. Is it something you get to do, something you want to do, or maybe something you have to do?
0: I've been hearing um, just different parents, especially moms, speak about having to versus wanting to work very differently across different families. And would just love to hear your perspectives and how you've handled those conversations. Appreciate all you ladies do. Thanks.
1: Ellen, I have to say, I just thought this was such an interesting question because it's definitely something that's been on my radar ever since I've been a mom, but I've, I i do not think anyone's ever kind of put it quite like that before. So, um, I have to say that in general, um, related to work or not, I have never really been someone who phrases anything with my kids as I have to do this, uh, whether mm. it's like, um, you know, whether it's like the money's not in the budget, <laughs> it's, it's not that. We can't do it. It's that it, we're not, you know, making room for that right now. And my kids know that there are some things we just can't do. Like for a long time, they labored under the delusion that we were going to live in this really fancy subdivision with a pool. And I was like, no, we're not. We're not going to do that now. With the way that I think, I could probably uh, employ some strategy to get <laughs> myself a house in that. Neighborhood. I mean, like, I, I know how to date. Like, I know yeah. how this works, right? But. I'm not gonna. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, I guess the way I look at that is there's almost there's like always choices to be made. And um, even if you feel like the reality of your financial situation is that work is not an option for you. And I totally I am there. Like work is not an option for me, but I'm still like working because I want to. I don't like I really mm -hmm. don't know how to answer that. Like I'm working because I have to and because I want to. And, And I haven't I really don't want to put it on my kids that I have to do something. And maybe that's just a weird stubbornness about having options. I know that could be like a personality thing for me, for Mm -hmm. sure. But um, but I always want them to see choices and things and like to see that there there are ways that you can engage. So I guess the one thing I wasn't 100 percent sure about Ellen's question was, does she mean in general or like, sorry, mommy can't do this right now. I have to work like those are you know what I mean? Those are two different things.
0: Yes. And I think she meant in general and talking about moms in particular, you know, this is like, I think this exposes probably a lot of vulnerability and insecurity in the way we as moms think about working mothers, right? Like if we're, if we're just owning our own um, biases, what we bring to this, we probably look at, or at least have looked at other moms and be like, well, you know, she works full time and probably has to. She's dabbling and could, you know, could stay home if right. she wanted to. And we have these buckets that we put other people in, we put ourselves in. And so if the kids ask an innocent question, we, we like almost bring all of that with us. And it's like, oh, how do I talk about this? So I would say talking about it like you talk about anything else that makes you feel a little unsure, which is starting simply and honestly and letting kids' questions go from there. So, like, I guess. Um if you zoom out and think about what you want your kids to understand about um women in the workforce, what you want your kids to understand yeah. about the relative value that co-parents bring to a family, I grew up mostly with a stay-at-home mom um and I remember really being told and having it reinforced that my parents were equal partners who contributed in different ways to our overall family unit. Um and I think that was but they had to come out and say that because one of my parents went to work every day and the other did not. And so I think it's a lifetime of, um, context shaping for your kids, a lifetime of, you know, bringing kids into your privilege, whatever your privilege looks like. And, um, and then answering questions, answering their, Mm. their simple questions. I remember being horrified when my like three-year-old, looked up my, my mother-in-law, one of my two mothers-in-law was getting ready to go to work for an insurance company. She was all dressed up and she, we were visiting in Chicago and Allegra looked up and she goes, ladies don't go to work. And she was like three. Oh, and I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I failed. Cause first of all, I worked in a corporate setting when she was a baby and a toddler, but I did stay home when she was mm-hmm. like two and three. And I wasn't really working a lot until she was closer to like four or five. So in those years, that was what she saw. And I was like, I failed as a, you know, like a female role model. And so I guess, remember that, um, the preschoolers especially have a lot of questions and they're naturally trying to sort the world into like really, um, you know, like black, black and white. Yep. Um, and so you don't have to freak out about that. Your conversations can get more and more nuanced as their questions do. I feel like I'm rambling, but the final thought is I want my kids to see me doing work that I love. And sometimes what happens to me is they see me doing a lot of work that is taking me away from them. And I have to, I have to address that in ways that they're seeing both my contribution to the family, but also me being meaningful, engaged, meaningfully engaged in work that I love. And I think all that happens over a long period of time, not necessarily with the exact vocabulary you use for one question.
1: I totally agree. And as you were talking, a couple things came to mind. One being um, that I remember Owen telling, gosh, I can't remember who it was. He said this too, but he was maybe six or seven. And he said that he told someone in my earshot that mom's job is chatting on email with her friends all day. <laughs> And I thought, well, I guess that's what it looks like to him. Mm -hmm. Like it probably, it probably does look like I'm laughing. I'm at the computer. I'm smiling. I'm laughing because I love my work and people send me funny things. And, you know, I'm like, I am engaged in that way. And having them like wondering sometimes like what they think I'm doing all day and Mm -hmm. like not wanting to feel defensive or like I have to explain myself, but maybe just bringing them into that world a little bit more, like you said, and. I actually am running a business or like I've done so many different things. Like I've had offices or jobs where I go to an office. I've had jobs where I go to a radio station. I've had jobs where I'm able to bring them. I've had jobs where they can't come. Like there's been so much and all of that is just under the general umbrella of work to them, which mm-hmm. maybe is great. And maybe is a little confusing. Like it yeah. might also be like, what does mom do all day? And all yeah. they know is that I, I'm doing something that helps pay the bills. Um, I think the fact that like, I'm now a single mom helps with that a little bit because they can see the distinction. Like if I'm not doing it, who is right. But I think when I was married, it was a little less, it was a little more confusing because their dad left all day and I was at home and we were both equally contributing to the family's finances, but it maybe didn't look that way for me. I think another thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking about like the, do you have to work or do you want to work thing is we're all working. Like all of us are doing some kind of work. And I think if I was going to, if I was going to try to sum it up, really like concisely for my kids, it would be, well, we do all have to work in that. We all have to be productive. We all have to, um, you know, pitch in and, and help keep things running and smooth and all that. But that doesn't have to mean like paid work for everybody. And so it's just a more nuanced, it's just more nuanced than ever. Like you said, Sarah, one answer to one question.
0: You know, what's cool about our kids is they're growing up in a time where it's a little more normal for career shifts to happen. Um, and that's another thing I've tried to point out to my kids. Um, if they've said like, you know, when we, when we were little, you didn't work. And I, and I've said, well, I took a break from working in an office and then I started working from home. And then I started working more from home. And if you point out, you know, seasons of life in the real world where women especially but but women and men are able to shift their the degree of like intensity of their career or mm. where they work you know home versus away in an office um and explain it more seasonally because i think um i think for stay at home moms in particular there can be this kind of need to justify your existence in a way and that often comes mostly from our harsh criticism of ourselves more than anything outward. But um, if you thinking of each thing as a season, like right now, my work is in the home. My next season of work might look like something else. And I think, I think even young kids can understand that too. Luckily, because we're growing up at a time where I think that's more normal in the real world.
1: Right. Absolutely. And, and I think, I think the nice, the good news is that they're going to be able to look around and see so many examples of what work can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, as they grow. And right now they're, they're also, they're always going to ask awkward questions and say embarrassing things because they're little kids and they say all kinds of embarrassing things and um that show their lack of understanding of the world. But yeah, I just, it's not, I don't think it's a, it's a such a multifaceted conversation. I guess yeah. if I had to end there, it would be that like, it's not either or right. It's yes. And right. Uh,
0: and I don't think you have to pick one lane, Ellen, to say right. I get to work or I have to work. Even if there are is some financial reality that technically makes one of those two buckets more accurate. I don't think you have to pick one. I think, right. You can, you can ramble on for 10 minutes about your work relationship like we just did.
1: Well, right. And I mean, like if your kid, if your kids are asking you that first of all, probably most of the time it's not the kid asking it, right. It's probably most of the time the mom wondering how she's presenting it to the Mm -hmm. kids, which are two different things. But if your child does ask you that, then they're getting that from, they didn't just come up with that question yeah. out of nowhere. They're getting that from somewhere. So maybe ask, maybe following that question with a question
0: mm.
1: is will tell you what you need to know. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's um, move on to a question from Kristen and I'll set this one up. Uh, Kristen said, I would love you guys to weigh in on when older teens and younger teens are old enough to stay home alone and how this has looked for your families. Any tips on things to consider and how to know when your kids are ready? And that came in in our Facebook group.
1: So do you want to take this one first, Sarah? You want me to go first? I know we'll both have something to say. Um, sure. I guess I'll go first. I'll go first. I uh, I believe, and this feels very random to me looking back, but I want to say like 11-ish was when I started making short jaunts out. Um but probably not like for any length of time and not if there was an older sibling at home, unless I was just down the street. I mean, it's so like the calculus we talk all the time about like risk calculus. (laughs) Yeah. It's so complicated. It's like, will there be younger siblings at home? If they, if there are, do they get along? Um, is one of them the type to set the house on fire or are they both going to kind of, or beat the other one up? Or are they just going to like, kind of go do their own things? Am I going to get a text or a call with someone crying? Like, there was all this. So I guess there's not really like a, a hard and fast rule. And even even your state probably has some rules. But even those are often really subject to a lot of like your personal uh, spin on them, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Sarah, what do you think? I know you, this is more recent for you. And I will also say Clara's 12 and I don't leave her at home alone ever because, well, I can't think of a time I have. Because I never need to. There's always someone here. Mm. I I would probably, but I just haven't. So.
0: okay. I have a couple of things to say, because it's been so interesting. The pandemic timing with Mm. my older two kids ages means we almost like because we haven't gone anywhere in so long. We've like catapulted to this stage. And I'll come back to that in a second. But first, I have a question for you. Do you remember being left home alone as a kid and at what age? So.
1: um. Okay, well, the first time I got accidentally left home alone, I came, I was at my best friend Marcy's house and I was probably six and I came home early and my mom wasn't there and I lost my mind. Oh,
0: like I'm so
1: sad. Completely (laughs) crazy. I remember running around the house screaming and crying. And I think I like cried myself to sleep in a corner. And I think she was like at the post office. (laughs) It wasn't like she was gone all day. Right. So after that, she was um, running a daycare out of her house. She was always there. I don't really remember ever being home alone. She didn't go out like it really wasn't a thing. I think probably around 12, like 11 or 12 is probably when she would start running out a little bit here and a little bit there. And by that time it was such a non thing anymore that it didn't bother me. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So recently I found a bin of papers from my elementary school years and they were things like uh, the little journals you write in class, like not my personal diaries, but the classroom ones. And some little worksheet, and it was third grade, and one of the worksheets was like it was like about emotions, like, when do you feel happy? When do you feel sad, when do you feel lonely?" So I was eight. and the, the one that said, like, "When do you feel sad?" or it was something about like a negative emotion. And, and I wrote, "When I'm left home alone for four hours at a time. And I was I was like, I mean, is that even
1: possible?
0: Did you leave me alone for four hours at a time when I was eight? And neither of us, of course, remembers. And I'm sure it was an exaggeration. And, and maybe by home alone, she had gone next door to the next door neighbor's house. I don't really know. Yeah. But I actually think I, I actually loved being home alone when I was a kid. And I think I was younger. I think I was like probably nine and 10. It was pretty normal for me to be home alone for, you know, periods of time. You Not were also
1: long. the oldest and I was the youngest. Yeah. So again, <laughs> if my mom happened to go someplace, it was hard for me to be alone. There were usually other people in the house. Right,
0: right. You know? Um, okay. So back to my kids and, um, this weird move slash pandemic. So right before the pandemic, um, I had started leaving Reed and Allegra alone together or just Allegra for probably 20 to not very long, 20 minutes at a time. And only when I was nearby, like running another kid down to Taekwondo or something, I never left them with Violet because the thing you described, like is there a younger sibling? Is that younger sibling right. likely to set the house on fire or start a fight or slam <laughs> right. doors or like, so Violet being so ultra, she, even though Allegra and even Allegra and Reed were really ready at say 11 and nine together. Um, I it, I was just almost never happened that I could take Violet with me and then leave them. So we had just started. Then the pandemic happened and the move and everything about where we live now is different. It's a little quieter. I feel a little bit. Um we have a little more privacy, which makes me feel a little safer. Um, I, I guess yeah. that's, that's, there's two sides to that. Uh, the old neighborhood, there were a lot more people around, but I also didn't know everybody. I don't know. There's some yeah. different, different safety issues. It's the calculus. I guess.
1: Again, it's like the yes. calculus. Yeah. It's all, it, it all plays in and you, and you can't always just not justify it, but you know what I mean? Like you can't always You can't describe it to someone else and
0: have it make sense sometimes. Right. And this is obviously like poor Kristen just wanted an age. I think we're circling around (laughs) like 10, 11, 12. 10, 11, 12 feels good. So what's funny now, Allegra and Reed are going to turn 13 and 11 this spring. And Violet is much calmer. And so we have, as the pandemic is... Shifting and we've started we actually went on a date and sat outside on a restaurant patio um like a couple weeks ago and we have started leaving them at night, like to go out to dinner. Now just for like an hour, hour and a half, or we'll go over to my parents for happy hour or something. Um, that has felt like a game changer. I would say when I was leaving them before, it didn't feel that meaningful to my life. Like it was actually, it was more of a break for them because they didn't have to get in the car and go somewhere for 15 minutes. For me, it didn't make my life easier. This has started to feel like a game changer. Violet started a little soccer thing and Brian and I both wanted to go because I wanted him to meet some other parents and get out of the house. And so we both went and we left the older two home probably for like two hours. And it was like dinner time. And so I am just just starting to see that, like how nice that's going to be for my own life. And it feels like with the pandemic, it feels like we leapfrogged. We went from never doing it to really having pretty mature teen and preteen in the house. And like, oh, this is really a game changer. So. So when
1: Clara was between three and four and Jacob would have been 14, um, that was when we started leaving all of them at home. Wow. And for like a couple hours at a time, like to go to dinner, like you said, or sometimes we would just go do a happy hour because like it was a little, we didn't have to then have the kids put other kids to bed or like Mm -hmm. worry about bedtime. Um, That was so huge because by that point I had gone 14 years without really ever having that. Right. So what the criteria were for us then were that Jacob and Clara were very close. Clara was a very easy little girl. Um, She would just like lay on the couch with Jake and they would watch TV or sometimes Jacob was kind of like the, the overseer and William was her buddy. Like I would Aww. very close. Like, I would very carefully, depending on who was getting along, assign certain kids to certain tasks and people. Yeah. And, usually there was at least one kid who was just kind of like antisocial at the time and their whole job was just to not really do anything (laughs) like their job was just to stay in their room and like i don't know not make anything worse and it really worked like it would usually be you know jacob you're gonna like play with clara will you're gonna play with owen isaac just stay out of the way or like whoever the kid of the week was um and we did that a lot and i just think it was like an always an evolving thing and like I never got too used to it working one way. Sometimes I would have to switch it up or give different kids different jobs depending on um, just depending on what was going on. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, um, yeah, I, I do think that 10, 11, 12 is a good age range. But gosh, it's just so many, so many factors.
0: It does. And I want to speak to I think Kristen kind of asked about skills or like had like, um, actual tips for when you first start doing it. And I, I do remember that I practiced with Allegra. She didn't have a, a cellular phone, but she had an old phone that worked on Wi Fi, So she could FaceTime out as long as she was in the house. And we did practice the first couple of times I did it. I said, I'm going to call you in five minutes and I want you to pick up your phone. Cause she's not a phone. She's not a kid who's like glued to her device, which I love. And I actually don't want her to be, but I need her to be able to pick up a device. But then when they forget that it's there, then don't answer it. yet. And actually she's still not good at it. So if I had real safety concerns, it would be a problem because I, when we were gone for two hours the other night, I tried to call her and she didn't answer. So she's not great about that. But I remember we practiced. I said, I want you to practice texting me. I'm going to text or call you and I need you to pick up or answer right away um, for a while, like she never even had that device charged. So we did, we did have to practice like making sure she knew where the phone was that she was supposed to answer. I also closed the blinds and lock all the front doors. And I tell them to pretend like they're not home. Like don't answer, you don't answer the door. Like you, you're not even home. And we have a house that has like windows that really face the front street. So I've, I've even asked them like, especially as it's getting dark, like just don't even, don't even go to that front part of the house. Maybe that sounds paranoid, but I basically like, I just want it to look like no one's home rather than someone knocking on the door. My kids have to answer it. So we're still at that. Definitely at that like precautionary stage where I don't want them having to deal with like adult things like answering the door, answering the phone or whatever. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, my, I was just thinking of my sister installed a house phone when her youngest Quinn was about Mm -hmm. 10 or 11, In order for it to be like the safety phone, right? So if she was out, he would have a phone because he didn't have a cell phone. But then what ended up happening is that all these solicitors would call and he would take them seriously and like keep them on the line and like give them information (laughs) and stuff. And then- he kept running in even when they weren't like when they were there, he'd run upstairs while she was in the middle of something. be like, mom, there's someone on the phone that needs to talk to you about our heating and air conditioning system or whatever. Do we want solar on our (laughs) roof? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Is our internet safe? Like it was just one thing (laughs) after another. So a lot of it is just understanding that kids are naive. They're naive. Like in the same way, you don't want necessarily like an 80 year old to like, you know, have to like, um, vet their own internet ads or yes. like their, their internet yeah. spam it's kind of like they're naive in that way so there's just some of that that has to be kind of they will take it very seriously if someone comes and knocks on the door and says something they and they go to the door and answer it and they're told something they will take it completely sincerely So just keep that in mind. Yeah. I like your plan of having them all hide in the back of the house.
0: Yeah. Just basically (laughs) pretend like you're not here. Right. And the other thing is as they get older and you keep leaving them home, they're going to get more capable. So the last time we did it, I let Allegra get a micro or not a microwave, a um, oven pizza, like a frozen pizza out of the oven and turn the oven off. And she's very proficient in the kitchen. But I wouldn't have done that. I mean, I always said, like, no cooking, no fires, nothing um, until most recently. And then I was like, yeah, she can take a pizza out of the oven and turn the oven off. Like it was already in there. So you'll, you'll continue to coach them and give them new bumpers and boundaries even after you start doing it for the first time, I guess is my point. Okay. Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes. I'm not wearing things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet.
1: Sarah, our sponsor, Hia Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Higha Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? The deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. OK, so we are back with Rachel and Rachel has um, a voicemail for us about swearsies. <laughs> Hi, Megan and Sarah. My name is Rachel and I am mom to a six year old daughter and four year old son. My question is about how you handle the quote-unquote bad language in your households. Um, I know you've both previously stated that you do enjoy a well-placed swear, and I am right there with you.
0: I just wonder what kind of rules you have in place for your children. My kids were both virtual learning for about nine months, and now that they're back at in-person school, sometimes I do wonder if some
1: of our looser limits might come back to haunt us. Would love to hear how you navigate
0: Different language in your family and what rules you have in place for the different ages and stages.
1: Thank you. Okay. So I think this is such an interesting question because of five kids. I mean, I swear, I swear around my kids. I try to like keep it in check and I've tried to actually get better because I I did realize for a little while, not when I was talking to them, but like when they were in the other room and I was talking to adults, I was just letting any word fly. And I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, I, I, There's certain things I don't even want to hear them say that aren't even bad words. It's just like there's certain phrases coming out of a little kid's mouth that just sound very harsh to me. And I thought, eh, I'm just going to try to like clean my language up around them. But for the most part, it's been kind of a language free for all. And that said, I don't feel like my kids have sworn before the right age for swearing, which is like around, they start experimenting in their teen years. I still have to kind of remind them I don't like I don't want to hear it like if they're on a video game and you know they play these video games where they're like three kids on computers around the table and they're all yell talking all the boys are like yell talking <laughs> at each other and if Will just comes out with like an f-bomb I don't want to hear that and he's 17 I know that at that age I was swearing and like but but learning how to swear as an adult and like when it's the right time to yeah. swear and I will call him out I will call his friends out um But really, for the most part, they've all been pretty good about not doing it around their grandma or their Mm -hmm. mom or like random adults. I do have this very clear memory of Owen asking me if he could say a bad word and then whispering it in my ear when he was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11. And then he felt so terrible afterward. Like he was so mortified that he he wasn't sure it made him feel any better. I think it was one of those like where it was building up and he just had to say it. Do you we remember what word it. it was? It was the F word. Yeah, oh, okay. It was the F word.
0: Sometimes they think it's a bad word and it's like, I know. you know. Well, we had plenty like, of but. that
1: when they were really, right. When yeah. they were really little, we had lots of that kind of thing. And <laughs> that was always funny. But this was, he knew this was a bad word. He was old enough and he just sat on it and shoot on it and couldn't let it go. And finally whispered it in my ear. And then... I just think he felt so bad afterward that I don't think he swore again till like, I don't know, pretty recently. So So I I guess in my house, we don't have rules. And I just think that's really interesting because I don't know that that's universal. It just the way it's played out is that they know swearing is something people do. Adults do it. Um, I know they do it, but Mm -hmm. like it hasn't really been a problem.
0: Yeah. So I'd be curious if that's how it's played out in your house too, Sarah, or yeah. what? I mean, yeah. a lot of, a lot of it. Yes. So I will say, yeah, similar experience. My kids haven't, um, ex- they haven't ha- been the type of personalities where swearing in order to get a shock value right. has been a, a boundary they've pushed. And I know a lot of kids do that. I know actually when Reed was in first grade, I went into his classroom a whole bunch more than I've ever volunteered in a classroom because I knew his teacher really well. And she, the assistant teacher quit. And so I was in there once a week for several hours. And these first graders, I mean, you would have thought it was like, it was like a little epidemic of writing down four letter words, mostly like sh word and like but probably I don't think they were had graduated to f word in first grade but maybe some of them knew it and they would write it in their notebooks and they would whisper it and the teacher would have to get involved so I know that kids do that as a way to push boundaries get a reaction my kids are comfortable with all kinds of language that they have heard and we have lots of open discussions about the impact language has on the people around you, and to me, yes. and I've said this on the podcast before, so just kind of a broken record. To me, it's so much bigger than a list of four-letter words that are off limits, right. and it's so much more about understanding that the words Reading you the use yeah. have an impact for good or for bad. So, for example, you could say something incredibly hurtful to a friend that makes them cry and feel rotten, and it, and it doesn't have any bad words in it. It's it could be the right. the tone that you use or the fact that you laugh at their outfit or something. So I think I've tried to broaden it to uh, giving my kids the opportunity to understand that the way they use language is powerful, both for good and for evil. So I've really tried to diffuse the power of quote unquote swear words while at the same time, like, you know, letting them know that the rules at home are different than the rules at school and you may get in trouble if you use this word yeah. at school. And in our family, we tell a lot of jokes that are based on like wordplay. And sometimes that includes like slightly, I don't know. It's not, not like dirty jokes. That's not what I mean, but like plays but, like, on words, pushing the edge a little bit, pushing yeah. the edge. And, and they find that kind of humor really funny. And Allegra is almost 13. Now she's watching like the office with us. And there's lots of like, uh, suggestive jokes and things where it's like, you just have to know your audience, read the room, um, and know that the language you choose to use will be a reflection of you. Cause people will make assumptions about you based on the, the words you choose, but they can also make somebody else feel really bad or feel really good. So I've not had a problem with my kids going out into the world and like repeating words they heard at home and then like getting sent to the corner and first grade or something. Um, yeah. if that has happened to you, I don't think it reflects on your parenting. Cause I think no, some kids at all. are truly just like, it's like some kids are biters and some kids are run away, run away in the parking lotters. And some yep. kids, it's just like some kids, I think enjoy that delight in that boundary pushing, but mine have not, um, not been that type. I'm going to say one more thing. And that is about, um, using like the Lord's name in vain, so to speak, and using not just swears, but swears that involve um, God. And it's not something that I drop a lot of, but I have really tried to make sure my kids understand why that could be deeply hurtful to some people, even if it's not, it's not something that like hurts my feelings necessarily, but why, again, it's so much bigger than a list of four letter words. It has all kinds of other implications. And we just have an ongoing dialogue about it, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I I totally agree with you. First of all, a few other thoughts. I did remember as you were talking that, I mean, no, no surprise. Isaac, my wild child (laughs) did have a a phase where he would run away from me in the store and hide in racks of clothing and say the SH word really, really loud. And he was doing it for pure shock value. He was yeah. doing it to be as naughty as he possibly could. And my, re- I mean, it's been a long time now, but my memory of it is that it really highlighted the fact that he ran away from me and did not, and like really downplayed the cussing. Cause I knew the minute he knew that was a thing, mm-hmm. like the minute he got my goat with it, it was going to be like, he was going to be stuck on that for a while. Um, but that did end up going away. I do think he, he had a couple of times in his Catholic school that he went to where, He got a little bit, of little trouble, but they were really good there about not making that my problem. Like they would Mm. deal with it at the school. And then I didn't have to like double punish him or have like another set of consequences at home. So that was good. Um, But that, you know, that does happen. And you can't, it's like, you can't give too much weight to something if it's going to be the thing that gets the reaction, the Mm -hmm. reaction that gives the kids the reaction that they want. But like, you can play up the fact that like, not everybody Wants to hear that. Grandma doesn't want to hear that come out of your mouth. Mom doesn't want to hear yeah. you yelling that at the dinner t- table. Um, to your talk about, like, I don't even really like to hear my kids say, oh, my God. I mean, I think I that don't that's either. That, yeah, yeah, we say, I, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I say, oh, my gosh. And I and I realized that I was kind of like just sort of reflexively saying it and that Clara was saying it a lot. And she's saying it in that very teenager way, like, oh, my God. And I thought, I just don't like the way this sounds coming out of her mouth. I, it's not like. I don't find it necessarily personally offensive personally, but like, I know a lot of people would and I see why, and I don't like it. So I'm just trying to like, kind of go trainer. It's not like a big deal. I'm not shaming or yelling at her, but there's been a few times I've be like, you know, not everyone likes to hear that phrase. Let's just tr-. like, sometimes you have to train yourself out of one thing and into a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really trained myself almost out of saying the F word. I-, I really don't say it nearly as much as I used to, not because I have a real problem with it because, but because I realized it was starting to slip into every conversation and I like a well-placed swear, but like it was getting to be a little much. So that's a
0: 2020 thing. That's like a, that's like, (laughs) well, right. And I was like, you know
1: what, I mean, everybody can change, right? Everybody doesn't matter if you're, you know, 14 years old or 43 years old, like you, there's room to look at something you're doing. That's maybe become habitual and, and change it. And, um, two more things I'll quickly say about that. One is this is one place where I think having elderly or elderly elder siblings is such a blessing because they will police the younger ones when they do things like don't read the room, kill a joke, drive the yeah. joke into the ground. Like I kind of didn't have to do much of that with the younger three because by that point they had two older brothers who were like, now nah, that that that's not gonna fly. Like that punchline's not gonna fly, or, or like just try saying that around grandma or whatever, you know, and. It was kind of like the three youngers kind of got in line. Yeah. So I must have done something right with the two olders. Not that I remember what it was, but like probably all the stuff you're talking about. Yeah. You know, reading the room and all that. And um, I just had a funny story. I was thinking of when you were talking about the classroom where, you know, the kids were out of control. <laughs> Epidemic with the swears, of, yeah. the of swearsies. <laughs> I have a very distinct memory of being like maybe eight years old. And my friend came over and we had all these little pads of like they weren't. I mean, post-it notes didn't really exist yet, but they were like post-it notes without the stickum. Yeah, like little pads of paper. And I remember them being yellow, blue, and pink. I don't remember why I remember that. And I wrote like really mild swears on them. And it was like jackass, like stuff like that. And like oh. just not even really bad words. And I think yeah. I wrote like the S-H word, but I didn't even write it all the way. Like I wrote mm-hmm. S-H and then two X's or something. And I them all over this room and then my friend and I had a good laugh and then we crumpled them up and threw them in the trash can in my mom's office room and my mom just walks in and she goes oh what's this because there's like the whole trash yeah. can is full of wadded up papers and she opens one up and she's like what is this and I started bawling like I oh, lost yeah. my mind because I thought I had done the worst thing any child could ever do and like my, my mom just sat there looking at me as I'm sobbing and like flailing around and finally she looks at my friend Jackie. She's like, I mean, I guess he should just go home. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, like, what's even happening? Why are you crying so hard? Because I had such like immense guilt. I, I wasn't really worried yeah. about getting in trouble. I just felt so guilty. And I look back and think, what was going on in my little brain? Like I so badly wanted to write kind of slightly naughty words on paper, but then couldn't handle
0: yeah. The guilt, like the
1: responsibility and the guilt from it. It was, it's just such a funny thing. My mom going, well, I don't know, Jackie, I guess let's go home. Like she's obviously <laughs> lost. This is mind. over. <laughs> and then I punished myself by vacuuming the whole house, which is, it makes it sound like I had a really like self-flagellation thing going on and I didn't. And my mom was very cool about punishments and I didn't get in trouble very much. And I think maybe it was just so outside of my kind of good girl nature. Mm-hmm. Um, And I felt like maybe I'd hurt her feelings and like I was going to get Jackie in trouble. That was the other thing. I thought maybe I'd done something super unforgivable that would get Jackie in trouble. So it just makes me laugh when I look back at that and think, if my kids do something like that now, I don't, I don't know how to decipher what's going on in their brains. Yeah. Like, yeah. What on earth are they like? And how are they going, if I do disapprove of them, how are they going to internalize that? Because it's probably going to be so inflated to them.
0: Yeah. Compared to how I mean it just like you, their perception of what's bad may be so much worse than anything you would ever like as an adult put upon them. Um, I just wanted to add one thing on the non swears language, like values that you set in your home, because you talked about like preferring, oh my gosh. And, and I do Mm. too. And I think it was Violet when she was really little, that's like, just started slipping in. Oh my God. And I, same thing, exactly like what you described with Clara, if another adult, if that's part of their vernacular, it doesn't really bother me, but coming out of like my four-year-old, I was like, right. yeah. in our, yeah. in our house, we say, oh my gosh. And that's coming from me who drops swears. So like it's, right. you can kind of choose the words that are important to you in your house. We also said, we said bottom instead of butt and toot instead of fart all the way up until our kid's Till the youngest kid was like five, I finally gave up. And I know in, in many families, like butt is just the, that's like the cute word from babies on. And, and for right. some reason for me, it was like, we always said bottom or I guess there's other cute words, but we always said bottom and toot, not butt and fart, which are totally fine. Like they're fine and they're very normal in a lot of households. So your family probably has its own yeah. um, little dictionary and it might include yeah being okay with certain kind of swears. But then like me, you don't want your kids saying, but you want them saying bottom until they're like, you know, in fifth grade, it's just kind of funny. So
1: I wasn't allowed to say crap or fart growing up. And it, I mean, okay. Like I, I just, it, you're totally allowed to make that call just like yeah. any other rule. Um, it's your comfort level and your house yeah. rule does not have to be the same as any other place rule. Cause I certainly said both crap and fart when I was not in my house. So <laughs>
0: And your kids will go off to school and they'll they'll either use these words as an experiment and find out what happens or they won't because they kind of have their own little internal like meter about it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so interesting. You and I could probably talk about language forever.
1: For the rest of the show. People will be yeah. like, okay, we're unsubscribing. And we're done.
0: <laughs> we'll start our swearsies podcast, our side podcast where we swear someday. Side swears. Um, Okay. So we have one more question. It comes from Ashley and I really liked this one. I have, I have a bit to say, so let's listen to Ashley and then we'll dive in.
2: Hi Megan and Sarah. I started listening to your podcast last year after my son was born and he turns one very shortly. I wondered if you could speak to the competing emotions of motherhood. I just started going back into the office in person recently And unfortunately I don't get to see my son in the mornings due to the schedule that I've made. But I get to see him all day. Friday. But I was just thinking to myself as I walked up to bed that I'm thrilled that he's been sleeping through the night these past few nights. But part of me wishes he would wake up just so I could snuggle him and see him a little bit more before I have to go to work. And it it seems like there's been a number of instances in which I have competing emotions about things to do with motherhood. That might be way too vague, but um, I wanted to see what your thoughts could be on that.
0: Okay, Ashley, first of all, you're doing a great job. You went back to work. That is in it, in and of itself often filled with conflict. But actually, I want to commend Ashley for acknowledging conflicting feelings in motherhood because I think if more people did that, we would have a lot less polarizing and isolating, you know, isolated feeling moms out there and less, less polarized conversations. Um, So yes, of course I have, and I'm sure you have Megan felt times in motherhood where it seemed like two conflicting emotions were existing at the same time. And I would argue that as you add more kids and deal with more big kid problems and problems, you know, challenges and new adventures, um, that's not going to, that's not something that goes away. If anything, you get used to feeling conflicted or feeling mm-hmm. seemingly conflicting emotions at the same time. So one thing I don't think I have much to say except to validate. Yes. But I happened to listen to a podcast recently. It's a two-part episode on Brene Brown's dare to lead podcast, which is her sort like management and leadership podcast, as opposed to unlocking us, which is more of her just personal growth development. Um, one, and she interviewed this um, researcher named Susan David, who's a psychologist, I think, and then has gone into other things. And she studies emotions. Um, and it's a fascinating, like, two-part podcast episode about emotional—not emotional intelligence. She calls it emotional agility, which, in part, is being able to really specifically name and identify emotions, not to judge them, not to like give them too much. Yeah importance. It's all stuff that if you if you're consuming this kind of, you know, personal growth stuff, you've kind of heard this before. Like we are not our emotions. There's no like good emotions and bad emotions. It's just they're just emotions. Um, And you can you are separate from them. You don't have to become them. A lot of this I've heard before. But this woman, first of all, she's from South Africa. Her accent is delightful to listen to. And she's incredibly, incredibly, this is her whole field of study. Um, And she works a lot with companies and leaders. So a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, I guess productivity or growth leadership, not just um, like the emotions we feel when we're sad, but also how emotions can help us or hinder us, you know, doing what we want to do in the world. Um, It's fascinating. So when I heard this question, I was like, oh, I hope some Ashley or maybe other listeners go and listen to that. And just if anything to give yourself a pass at the many emotions that you feel throughout a day in motherhood Um, and being okay, like feeling like, you know, she said she wants her baby to wake up so she can snuggle a little bit, you know, in the night, but also she really wants to be back at work and furthering her career. And um, so I think the, the more comfortable we can get with, with, emotional ambiguity, um, conflicting emotions, um, just the more permission it gives us to feel the full wide range. Um, and I just think, I think there's a lot to that.
1: I love that. I'm definitely going to check out, um, that episode and that expert.
0: Um, what'd you say the name was? Her name is Susan David and, it, um, David. yeah. And the podcast that Brené's podcast is called dare to lead. Oh so yeah. I was familiar with that one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So, yeah. And one thing that was when I was listening to Ashley, I was thinking about having little kids and I think I actually saw this written in a book someplace maybe, but like staring at a a sleeping toddler and thinking, I'm so glad they're asleep. Gosh, I wish they would wake up, but I'm so glad they're (laughs) asleep. But like not being able to like really decide which feeling I felt more. And Sarah, you know that I'm a very emotion driven person and intuition driven person. And it really was fairly recently that I kind of adopted the mantra, like emotions are like buses. If I just wait, another one's going to come along probably Uh in five minutes, not 15. And that has really helped me because if you're an emotional person, you can be very reactive to your emotions, just like what you're talking about. Um, And you can feel like you have to act on them. So you, you see the sleeping baby, you wish they'd wake up and you're like, Anyway, I poke them in the foot. Maybe they'll wake up and then they'll need me. And then then you're then You're kicking yourself because all you really want is to go to bed. Like it's same thing with work. Like I really want to today I'm having a hard day. Wouldn't it be better if I could get a job? So you start like scouring the, um, you know, the help wanted. And yeah. then next thing you know, you have a job. You're like, well, that's not really what I wanted or whatever, the, you know, whatever the situation is. I think it can be really hard to sit with a feeling and just let it Pass and motherhood just exacerbates that because it's no longer just there's like all the external things that affect your feelings have now amplified so much. There's so much more um, stimulus, like kind of toying with your emotions, yeah, and and shaping and guiding and poking them. So um, I'm agree with everything you said, Sarah. But I just think, just as a fellow like really emotional person, I I could kind of hear that in Ashley's voice. Maybe I'm wrong. But I do think that sometimes it's hard when you're used to kind of being the one in control of how you feel, because it's like, it's just kind of you. And right. then suddenly there's like this whole other part, this like appendage that's also influencing it. It can be hard to know if you should act on your feelings or not, or if they mean anything, if you have to do anything about them. And sometimes you don't have to do anything. Sometimes you can just feel them and, and move on. Let the next bus come.
0: I love that. I love that bus analogy so much. Um, in the interview, Susan David also used the analogy of the emotions are clouds in the sky. You are not the clouds. You are the sky. So like the emotions are passing by, um, but you are not, they are not you and you are not them. And I do think of you, Megan, as um, really responsive to your emotions. And I actually think, I think of that as such a asset for you, but I can see how it would present as reactive. And then for me, I can be more of like a stuffer, like, Oh, I don't want to feel that emotion. Like that feels complicated. Um, or jumping to a conclusion that like, if, if I have this particular emotion, what does it mean for the rest of my life or the, you know, the Mm. future of my child or whatever. So I can see, I can see both sides of that.
1: But either way, don't you end up, you end up kind of feeling like a victim, not a victim, but like you're Mm -hmm. at the mercy of your emotions. And that I think is so important about the cloud analogy and the bus analogy. Like, we're really not. We're really not at the the mercy of them.
0: Right. And I've also heard, you know, different wise people say that it is not possible to experience kind of the depth of positive emotions without allowing yourself to experience the less pleasant ones. So if you want deep joy and deep, you know, like happy happiness, um, you do have to allow for the conflicting or the the opposite side of that spectrum i guess it's not a very eloquent way of saying it but you know what i mean yeah so ashley yes to answer your question motherhood comes with all kinds of conflicting feelings um and i think if we can accept that and also talk about it and normalize it um we just have an opportunity for the full yeah the full spectrum which ultimately i think is the most fulfilling um so i'm glad that she asked that question me too all right. Well, it's time to wrap up again. Thank you. If you've already filled out our survey at com slash survey, thank you. Thank you. And if you haven't, it's really quick. It really helps us. Um, and so we would really appreciate that. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just type in com slash survey.
1: And we have got a more than a mom episode coming up on Sunday. So make sure you tune in for that and we'll talk to you then. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because it's beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time.
0: Yeah. And with summer fast approaching now is a great time to get the essential calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at the essential com slash the mom hour. That's 10% off at the essential com slash the mom hour.